Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Long Monday Podcast. I'm Steve Harley, one of the usual co-hosts of the podcast, along with Mike Kane and our very special guest today, Miss Penny Langley, uh, a company member at Atlantic Stage, who is going to be, she's the first one that we have picked to be featured in our company member spotlight. So we're going to be talking to Penny. But before we get to uh, Penny and, and uh, her involvement with our theater, Atlantic Stage, just wanted to go over a couple things in case uh, people aren't familiar with some of the concepts we'll be talking about. One is for a theater the size of Atlantic Stage, a small professional theater, um, and this goes uh, uh, probably for 80 or 90 percent of the theaters in the country. There is so much work to be done to run a theater that uh, it requires more hands usually than the people who founded the theater. And so what happens is uh, people in the community, hopefully darken your doors, come in, either enjoy theater or uh, have something going on in their life where they want to be involved with theater. And I used to teach my students this. Anybody is welcome at a theater if you do three things. Show up on time, work hard, and get along with and want to get along with people who are diverse and tolerant and maybe a little bit crazy, but mm, probably will end up being some of the um, your closest friends that you may ever meet because they are open and tolerant and caring because they do theater. So theaters need company members. I have seen it in my experience where company members darken the doors for one show. Uh, they may help for two weeks. They may help with one show and stay for many years and become part of that particular theater family. Um, there is a trade-off that comes with um, being a company member. Um, I have been on the side of deciding who are company members in several theaters. And we always sort of kind of half joke that um, they need to be careful what they wish for. To become a company member, if you're uh, in the community and love doing theater with that group, is a feather in your cap. It means you've been valuable to that theater. You're wanted at that theater. And, and it, the theater has given you a status of being one of the deciding members of that theater. In other words, your input is going to make a difference in that theater. Um, <clears throat> so those kinds of people are absolutely uh, essential to the theater. And but the difference is what the downside, not the downside of that is there comes with that a lot of responsibility. Um, we ask a lot of our company members and we ask a lot mostly of their time uh, because uh, hopefully since they love the theater, that's something they're willingly giving. So I just wanted to get that out there to set that up because Penny Langley, as I said, is a company member and she has done <laughs> and experienced a lot of the things I just mentioned. But we want to start off with Penny. I do, at least, with her involvement in the arts. Penny is not just interested in theater. She also has experience in music and other forms of art. So, Penny, I was just curious, what is your earliest experience with art? I know from knowing you that you were in band in high school, but when did you start with music and what attracted you to it? Um, as early as I could form sentences, I started singing because my dad did all the time. Um, so I have a very musical family on both sides of my family. And my dad is one of those guys that will make up his own lyrics to songs on the radio. So he was forever um, singing along with the radio when we were in the car. He would make up little songs to sing to himself when he was doing stuff around the house, like cooking or um, working on the car or something like that. So music has always, always been a part of my life. And now I'm one of those annoying people that makes up my own lyrics to songs and sings little songs to myself. My dogs probably despise me because they have multiple songs for their names. 
Um, so whenever I get home in the afternoons, you know, I'm like singing, Poquito, Pico Puppy, you're my pooper, you know. Um, so yeah, I've always been very musical. My dad is a really great um, sketcher, I guess. He doesn't really make art, but he, he can draw stuff pretty well. Um, I even have some aunts and uncles on my mom's side of the family that were in a gospel quartet that toured professionally um, when I was a kid around the Southeast. So music has always been a huge part of my life as long as I can remember. Was um, was the band, being in band, uh, was that your first experience with organized, like not, yes. not organized art, but like, you know, yeah, an organized yes. artistic function. And what, what instrument did you play? Um, so the first opportunity that you could have in my school system back in Tennessee was being in the concert band. And you were able to do that starting in fifth grade. So I was definitely going to be in the band like that. There was no question I was going to do it. I wanted to play drums. Dad said, no, girls don't play drums. Then I said, okay, then I want to play saxophone because I've got family in New Orleans. And whenever we went down to New Orleans, we would see people like um, musicians down in the French Quarter. There was always a saxophone player. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And I wanted to have a saxophone and be out there with my hat and play and get tips. And that would be so awesome. And um, I don't know how I got talked out of the saxophone, but dad insisted that trumpet would be the very coolest thing to play. And it only had three keys instead of 10 or 12 to learn. And so I started playing trumpet <laughs> and I still play trumpet to this day. Actually, um, I'm not as good as I used to be in high school, but I can still play. I got a question for you. What, what does music do for you while you're playing it? What, what, how does it make you feel? And what, what does it do to you sort of uh, physiologically? Um, while I'm playing, I feel accomplished. Hmm. I feel smart. Like I'm actually achieving something. So it, it it's pretty fulfilling like that. I, that may be an unexpected answer. And I'm not exactly sure that I ever put words to that before. But when I'm playing my trumpet and I get through a piece and I actually finish it, it's like, huh, yeah, I can still do that. That makes me feel proud. Now, is there some aspect of performance that's appealing? You mean performance in general? Like in terms of the music, because I... You know, there's definitely performance is so rooted in theater, but I don't think many people consider the performance, performative nature that goes into something like music. Um, so like at concerts during, you know, school, when we were given concerts, mm -hmm. the best part was to be able to look out and see the people smiling back at you while they were listening to the music. Like my favorite concert to do was always the Christmas concert because the school I went to, we always played Sleigh Ride for the Christmas concert, mm -hmm. always. It was like what we closed the show with. And there was always a horse whinny at the end. And the trumpet player that could do it the best was the person that got picked to do the horse whinny. And oftentimes that was me um, because I practiced that thing like nobody's business because I wanted to do it. <laughs> and then at the end, when I did the at the end of the sleigh ride and everyone was like oh yay and they were clapping it was just so nice to see how happy everybody else was sure. and um if anybody who knows me knows that i'm a people pleaser i it's very important for me to people for people to be happy with me so to see other people be happy because of something i did just lights up my life sure. i was asking because you know um 
you know, Mike and I both play music as well or play instruments. I don't play in an organized fashion anymore, but we, I think we both do it because of uh, what it makes us feel like while we're doing it. What do we, you play, Mike? I didn't know. Percussion, drum set. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if for both of us, I'm sure part of it is taking out aggressions. For me, playing music is just getting out of my head for, for as long as I'm playing it. I'm not thinking about anything else except music. So it's very being in the present. Yeah. And for me, it's always about making other people happy. Do you get the other feelings about it, uh, internal feelings, aside from what the audience is giving you? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of times and plenty of pieces of music that just are so beautiful. Um, it's just like, oh, this is lovely. I get to be a part of this. And it's it's very fulfilling. Um, so, yeah, I experience that, of course. But it's just in my nature. If, if I can do something to make somebody else happy or make somebody else feel good, that's what makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of why I like theater too, is because I know that I'm giving somebody else something to be happy about or enjoy or escape from life for a little while. And I was part of making that happen for them. Mm, right on. Yeah. It's interesting because you know, we mentioned that all three of us here both do theater and music, Mm -hmm. but I never thought, I always thought of theater in terms of like the performative nature of it, right? Theater is meant to be performed in ways. So is music. Music is meant to be listened to, but Mm -hmm. I never, when I played music or was in band in high school, I never really concerned, well, never really focused on the performative nature of it. Yeah. we do concerts like you mentioned, but you know, it was more so about the creation of the art in terms of like, and we've spoke to this on the sound design episode. It's sort of like the emotional appeal that comes out of auditory music and things like that. Uh, whereas theater, at least for me, was so hyper-focused on the idea that somebody is going to consume this thing. And how does that affect the ways I'm going to approach this art? Where for music, it was never really like that, which I'm not entirely sure why, but it's interesting to see the cross-sections of that kind of thing. It's interesting. Um, my first marriage, I was married to a dancer, not a stripper, but an actual dancer, (laughs) Um, you know, and I always used to be a little jealous of dance and music as art forms, because to me, they speak directly to your soul. There's no, there's no real intellectual processing needed. Whereas theater, you have to hear the words, understand the words, understand the people, the situation, the plot, everything you've watched up to that point. Now that it's, it's just a separation thing. You know, it doesn't make one better than the other or not. But to me, I've always admired that music and dance go straight to your gut. And see, I think theater has, well, and I'm specifically thinking about opera, but theater too. Um, you don't necessarily have to understand the language if they're performing, if they're giving you the emotions. Cause like I have watched opera and I don't have a clue what they're saying when it's in another language, but I feel what they're feeling because I see that and it's coming across. And I've watched some German theater online where it's like, I don't know what these people are yelling about, but you feel what they're going through, you know? So I get what you're saying, but I think that theater has got a tiny bit of an aspect of that too. I I agree. I completely, I mean, I completely accept and agree with that point. Although what comes to my mind next though, is like waiting for Godot where the language does not make much sense. And it requires a special theater goer to deal with that. Yeah. 
Oh man. To, to sit long enough with it to go, what is going on here? And then go, Oh, okay. Just let it man. wash over you. <laughs> we cannot escape waiting for Godot. We brought it up for like the last five episodes straight. It's so. pretty iconic. But here we are again. Well, I think that speaks to the brilliance of the play, frankly. Yeah. I mean, at least for my, it's not, not, the, I mean, our production, I'm very proud of our production, but it's not like, you know, it's not going to go down in the history books. It's the play that is special. But anyway, so moving on from there, Penny, so following your life a little bit, and I just want to throw this out so we're not negligent, but Penny, before we go back to your, I want to go to your college theater experience, but um, how long have you been a company member here, just so our audience knows? Um, I guess, what, two and a half or three years? I don't even, I don't uh, even remember. You were a year after me, and I became one in 2016. Right, so almost three years. Yeah. Three, year, three, three years. Three years. Sounds right. And right. Yeah. We were wondering, and, and, and just for our audience as well, probably part of why we picked Penny to be our first uh, company spotlight. Mike and I were saying before Penny arrived that um, she's probably done, been involved with 80 to 90% of the Atlantic States productions since you came in the door. Is that right? I, I think all except two shows. I've been part of all except two shows in the past three and a half years. And that's out of 15. Is that right? Yep. Out of yeah, 15. Like but Penny doesn't like theater or anything. We just have her on here to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I hate theater. She it's hates so it. And she hates it so much, she just keeps coming back. So, um, <laughs> well, speaking of your hatred of theater, haha, ha, kidding. Um, what, uh, explain to us how you got involved in theater uh, in your uh, college education, Coastal Carolina, and why that happened. Um, so, Actually, I started theater in middle school when we started doing like little middle school plays and I loved it so much um, that I wanted to do it in college for sure. Um, did some high school theater. That was fun times. I went to college as an education major. I was planning to be a Spanish teacher um, because that's where the scholarships were, was in <laughs> secondary language uh, education. And then I decided... I don't, I, I would like to be a teacher, but I don't want to teach Spanish. I really want to teach drama because my very favorite teacher ever in the whole world was Liz Petty at Sevier County High School. She was my drama and English teacher, and I still am friends with her to this day. Um, so I decided I want to be somebody's Miss Petty. I want to be that person that a student absolutely falls in love with and finds their appreciation for theater and English and performing. I want to be that for somebody else. So I decided I was going to switch to theater. Um, my parents were not happy about that. Uh, so I had followed my dreams anyway and thought, well, um, maybe I could be an actor. If the teaching thing doesn't work out, I could be a professional actor. I live in the Carolinas now, and I know they film stuff in Wilmington all the time. Obviously, that didn't work out either. But so I went to Francis Marion University for my first year um, solely because I got a scholarship there. Uh, it was only $500, but every penny helped. So I was involved in three out of six productions there, I think, my freshman year. Um, loved it and said, yes, this is absolutely what I want to do. Uh, couldn't afford to go to a school that was so far away from parents anymore. So I went, my parents had moved to Myrtle Beach. So went back home and went to Coastal Carolina University. That's how I wound up there. Didn't actually graduate from Coastal, but was involved in tons of theater productions there. 
so you're just okay. So that explains everything I asked about then. I suppose you obviously enjoyed those experiences. Oh yeah, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and in fact, I neglected my um, the core classes that I was supposed to take, like you know, math, science, English, that boring stuff, because I was so focused on the theater classes because those were so much more fun and interesting to me. That's why I didn't graduate from Coastal Carolina. Yeah, well, I'm, that's funny. I had the same thing. The only F I made in college was uh, I didn't finish the work assigned to me in an English class. But the English class I was in, I was in his world premiere play at the same time. <laughs> but he still failed me. He gave me a second chance and I screwed it up. So it was my complete fault. <laughs> but again, theater killed my academics. So I know that story. Well, how much of a gap was there between y your graduation at Coastal and then when you came to Atlantic Stage? Hmm. I left Coastal in 99 and I went to Atlantic Stage, what, 2016? When did we do uh, Steady, Steady Ring? That was after Subject was Roses, I think? It was, yeah. Or was that C-Marks? About 20 years is the answer. About <laughs> it seems years. like... <laughs> Sorry, folks. We're trying to remember the dates <laughs> yeah, of the shows. We, we, you know, theater people seem, I th I'm pretty sure they keep track of their lives by the shows they were in. I don't even exactly. Know. Yeah. I don't like, it's like, Oh, I was doing this then. Yeah. Okay. It's been a while. Um, so what were you doing in the, in the gap between and what, what made you come to Atlantic stage? Um, just working my tail off, trying to pay my bills. Um, I wound up, uh, when I finished going to college, I wound up going to back to Tennessee um, because my parents had moved back to Tennessee. My parents moved a lot. So I've lived in a lot of places. Um, not military. My dad is just a gypsy. <laughs> um, so I wound up not being able to afford living in Myrtle Beach as a college dropout on my own. So I went back to Tennessee and wound up working for ConAgra Foods, which makes like Hunt's Tomatoes and... Um, Lux beans, if if you eat it in the grocery store, it either came from Kraft or ConAgra. So I went to work for ConAgra and I wound up after a couple of years being put in the payroll department. And I've always had a knack for math. So um, I took the payroll like a duck to water and I've been doing payroll ever since. So since about 2000, I've been a payroll specialist. And when I moved back to Myrtle Beach in, let's see, this time it was 2014. I moved back here in 2014. Um, I joined the Facebook group for the CCU Theater alumni. And I there was a post in there by Jason Adams that said, hey, listen, we're desperate for a stage manager for this show at Atlantic Stage. Uh, if you're interested, send me a message and we'll talk. I thought, uh, you know what? I would love to get back in the theater and I don't have any idea who these Atlantic stage people are, but if they're posting in the coastal alumni group, um, must be decent people. So I'll check it out. Sent him a message and he said, yes, show up tomorrow. Um, he would, they were towards the end of their rehearsal process. Steve was in that show and, um, he was desperate for a stage manager. So I showed up and I pretty much haven't left Atlantic stage since. 
and you know, until things went dark. <laughs> until the until the, the virus hit. I I yes. would like to say something just to brag on Penny a little bit. So um I've been in doing theater for thirty or thirty-five years. And as I said, I've seen people come in theaters and I've you know, there is within me automatically at this point an assessment process that goes on when somebody comes into theater. What am I looking for? The three things I mentioned earlier on. Are uh, are you on time? Are you willing to work hard? Can you get along with everybody? So Penny came into our theater. I was doing this particular play, Steady Rain. I was coming off a really bad knee injury. I was on crutches when we started rehearsing. But I'm keeping an eye on this new person. Okay, let's see what you got. See if you last a few days or a week or what happens. And within two days, I was like, well, I said to the Jason and Tom, uh, the director and other actor, I was like, she's a keeper. She's a keeper <laughs> because... You were highly organized. You were prepared. You showed up on time. You had obvious enthusiasm for the work. You didn't know any of us, but you got along with three males in a very, that was about it, folks, at home for this show. It's a two-person show with a director and a stage manager. Not a lot required, and you did uh, fantastic. So we're like, wow, okay, we better not let her go. Luckily, when that show was over, then we were like, well, let's see if she wants to do any more. And then, then it became obvious that you really liked, really liked doing theater. And we're like, okay. I love it. It's my life. As much as we can. So what um, jobs have you, again, as I mentioned, folks at home, many different jobs at theaters, especially with small theaters that we have to ask a lot of hands to cover. So what jobs have you performed at, at uh, Atlantic stage? Mostly stage manager, because that feels like what I'm the best at. Um, is getting things organized, keeping everybody on track, making sure that everything is going smoothly and solving problems. Um, so I'm usually a stage manager, but I have also um, designed costumes for Tuna, Greater Tuna. Um, or did I do Tuna? No, did Tuna Christmas. Yeah, Which one did I you do? You directed Greater Tuna. I directed Greater Tuna. I did costumes for Tuna Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, I assistant directed. I helped with music direction on the first musical that we did. Um, but I was the stage manager for that show. But I helped with music direction. Um, Acting. I, I act. Yeah. I, re I really like to act. Um, but I'm really bad at memorizing lines. <laughs> so <laughs> Not really. Um, I it's a struggle for me. I get it done, but it's a struggle. Yes. Mostly because I'm so stressed out about disappointing somebody that that takes over my whole brain and I cannot get the words in there. Why does that not um, do you when you play music though? That was a question I was thinking earlier. Because when I play music, I'm reading it off of the page. Oh, okay. So I don't have to have that memorized. Okay. Trust me, when I was in high school and doing marching band and we had to memorize our music, I was a nervous wreck over that too. Oh, uh, um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, so my um, my entire life is driven by I don't want to let anybody down. And I need a therapist for that. <laughs> um, but theater is my therapy. So yeah. Well, the question is, what do you do when you don't have your therapy? We're all answering that question right now. Exactly. Um, well, if I could ask then, you, ha you have this mentality of you don't want to let anybody down. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great position for a stage manager to have because the stage manager handles so much mm -hmm. of the going ons of the play. But in the inverse as well as that is that it's so easy for a stage manager to be let down. By, you know, the actors who show up late. Oh God, I'm or... let down all the time. So how does that feel from your perspective then? It's very frustrating and it pisses me off. 
Well, <laughs> no, I understand that. I, I've stage managed myself and it's a, it's a rigorous job for sure. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, but I've also been on the other side too. And I, I agree in that in a stage manager position, there's so much, it, it may not sound like it's a big deal when an actor shows up five minutes late to a rehearsal, but there's a strict schedule to rehearsal. Right. And it throws like, everything else Exactly. Off. It throws everything off. It's a trickle down. So, I mean, if someone's showing up an hour late, there's a huge issue. You know, five minutes can be here or there, right? But even like we said, that that short little five-minute bit for stage managers, like, all right, let me go call this person. Let me see where they're at. You know, that's the stage manager's job. It's not the director's job to call the person and see where they're at. It's the stage manager's right. job. That The handling of being let – not to say that stage managers are always let down, um, but – the possibility of it is certainly there. Oh yeah. And you just have to, I, honestly, I think that that's part of the reason that theater is therapeutic for me because it forces me to deal with things that I normally don't like, mm -hmm. like getting in front of an audience and maybe not remembering my lines, which has happened. Thank you very much. Um, if anybody watched reckless, uh, the German doctor scene, that was me. And that was a beast. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it forces it forces me to go, hey, it's the world is not ending. This is one little thing. Calm down. Here's what we're going to do instead. It forces me to stop being so strict on myself and have grace for other people. Yeah, you're a problem solver, though. And I think like, I don't know, but it seems to me like your dedication to the theater trumps anything else when it comes to you solving problems at the theater, as it should. You know what I mean? Like you got to do, you know, you're really good at getting what you need out of people. You may not be able to do it in your regular life. I suck at it, but um, you know, I'm the same way. When I get to a theater, the rules change for me. Like that is yeah. sacrosanct. You don't mess with that. And Exactly. And, it's almost like a religious experience right. for me. And being late um, is a sin. Yes, it is. Like theater comes before and above everything else. Mm -hmm. So, but, and that's not always a good thing, but that's how I operate. Yeah. A little, a little other irony I'd like to bring up before we move on is um, it was interesting to me that you originally got in college thinking about teaching and then, you know, didn't, but I have seen you mentor so many young people at the theater, which is really teaching. Well, really? Well, yeah. Every, like, for sure. Like no, young stage managers, young board ops that we've had for folks at home. You know, we've had people come in running our sound and light boards that were in high school or college. And usually they look to somebody who's authoritative and knows what they're doing. And Penny fills that for us when she stage manages, because it takes some patience to deal with them. Um, you know, people who uh, are willing, but don't know they have to learn. So yeah, I've seen you do that tons of times. I, Mike, you too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm trying to remember the show where I know you and Steve met during Sadie rain. I don't remember what show it was where we like became really good friends. Because I saw you around for steady. Are rain, we but, really good friends, Mike? Well, I'm, I'm just, you know, for the for audience's there? sake, that's what I was saying. You know? <laughs> we don't have to get into the deep of it all, but um, I forget what show we were first in together. Uh, it had to be you were stage manager and I was doing something else on the show. Yeah. Uh, did, didn't you sound design for Gatto? I did. But I feel like there was a, wasn't there a whole season before? Yeah, there had to be something before that. Lord, I don't even I know. Anyway. I feel like we've been friends forever, well, yeah. so yeah. I can't remember. I need a season list. Oh my lord! <laughs> exactly. Uh, um, well, next question. This is this is a simple one. Um, is is really which of those is your favorite to do? Like, if you had your druthers, let's let's say there's a theater and you got your pick of positions. Technically, you know, what would you do? Let's fantasy roll. 
So I really do love acting a lot. I always have since I was a kid. Um, I used to be able to mimic people like I could have been um, rich little. I was such a good mimic. Um, and my granny absolutely loved it. She would tell me, do this person, do that person. Um, so I've always been a little attention hog and I love acting, but I don't feel like I'm very good at it. Um, I enjoy it, but my, my expertise probably lies in stage managing. I also really like directing very much. I, I finally got brave enough to say, okay, I want to direct a show. Um, and that's when we did Greater Tuna and I had a blast doing that. Um, but stage managing seems to be where I feel completely and totally at ease. Like I don't have any nervousness about stage managing at all because I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the best things for people at home about small theaters like ours and theaters across the country is, um, you know, if somebody's dedicated to the theater as Penny has been, and there is no question about that, um, they will be given opportunities to try things if they ask to do them uh, like Penny did with directing. Um, you know, or if they want to stretch out, like I am, have always been an actor. I've done a lot of technical work, but I never uh, uh, designed sound, but I got to do that at this small theater or not sound. I'm sorry, lights. I never got to design lights before, but I did it at this small theater. And I'm so glad I did because any, anytime you can do extra jobs in theater, then you understand the whole process better than you are better at whatever it is you're doing in theater. So um, what, what is the theater sort of meant to you? What does it provide to you? Uh, again, on, on an emotional, spiritual, all levels. It's home. It's family. So like, I mean, obviously we're all born into a family, but I think for a lot of people that are very creative and artistic, we also have a chosen family. Um, I think it's just sort of something that goes with the territory for a lot of creative folks. Um, and it's just, because often our family doesn't understand how we operate and what um, pushes our buttons, so to speak, and makes us happy and makes us feel fulfilled. And my chosen theater family really does that for me. Like you guys get me, you have the same feelings, you have the same passions. Um, and you, I mean, all of you guys have become my family. So I love being around you guys and spending time with you guys, whether we're actually working on a performance or not. Like this whole pandemic thing where we have not been around each other and everything has been by Zoom or text messages or whatever is freaking killing me, man. Like I need my Atlantic Stage family like crazy right now. It's It's been miserable not doing any kind of theater with you guys. Yeah, you know, again, for the audience at home, I'd like to mention that too, right? Everybody is suffering during this pandemic, but I think Penny gave you a really poignant thing about what's happening to artists all across this country. By the way, don't forget that the arts in this country provide mega billions to the economy. So we're not just talking about a bunch of people who just, you know, doing this as a hobby and like what they do, okay? But what Penny's saying is on top of the economic hardships, which have not really been addressed by the government for entertainment very well, um, there is emotional space that music, theater, art of all forms fills for people. And so uh, just wanted people to realize that, you know, when you hear artists or you think, oh, some big movie star actors, you know, you know, riding out the coronavirus, just remember that they feel the same way Penny does and the way, you know, I, I assume Mike does or I do. It is a loss. It's a loss. It's not just 
what we do, it goes beyond that. It, for better or worse, like Penny said, can become part of your identity. Right. It's your family. I mean, all of these people I mean, that have been furloughed and are sitting at home during this pandemic because they can't go to work. What are they doing? They're reading. They're watching TV. They're binging Netflix. They're listening to music. Who do you think creates that? Like somebody has to make that happen. Mm-hmm. So the people on the other side of that who are making that happen, we're not allowed to anymore because we're not allowed to be within six feet of each other. So it's really freaking difficult. Yeah, it's part of the, you know, it's probably a subject for another podcast, but it grinds me a little bit when people sit at home and and have false ideas about media, acting, uh, fame. You know what I mean? I mean, it just doesn't take much imagination to realize that famous people are people, actually. Yeah. But we, we separate them out and think they don't have the emotions that come with doing what they love to do like any other person would who can't do what they're doing right now. So um, I'm like just curious. Sort of- well, if I could, Steve, any sort of thing with this pandemic, I mean, I've, I'm teaching students right now who are having hardships of their own. They've had to transition online courses, which I'll try and tie it into what we we're just talking about. But I always tell my students to like, yes, the world's in a really bad place right now, but, you know, just be grateful for what you do have. Yeah. And I think one thing that Atlanta, I'm grateful for Atlantic Stage for is, like you said, the friendships we've made, but also the fact that we can still interact with theater in a discourse setting. Like we can still talk about it like we are here. Yeah. And we still, of course, have all those <clears throat> memories, which speaking of, I think I know the show <laughs> that we met. I'm pretty sure it was Adverse Effects because you were stage yes. manager and that's I was right. acting in the show and Steve was there as well. Yes. And I think that's where we had the first show together. Um, and I, speaking of like family ties and stuff, I mean, that show was so, it felt so much, I don't know what it was. I guess it was just a really good, cast crew director dynamic or something but it felt really good to be in a room with people like that yeah and putting on good theater like that's one of those shows i look back on and was like man it just really worked well it was a, an amazing story yeah and a fantastic cast and i think we were all so um dedicated to making that story the very best it could be and so we really worked hard together as a group yeah. I, I think that's what drew us so tight mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I asked you, Penny, about, about, and I, you know, I, don't, I should be Barbara Walters, like, make you cry. Like, you know, think about, <laughs> what is, is it like a bird that's been, you know, hobbled? Um, but, but um, you know, the reason I ask is because, again, I, you know, from working at Trustus Theater and other small theaters, I've seen what it can do for somebody's life to come in there. We'd had people come in there that were really adrift and would tell you that. They're like, I don't know what I'm doing in my, like, they might have a job, but they're like, other than that, I'm looking for something and I don't know what it is. And they find us. And the great thing about theater is, like I said, we will accept you. If you do the three things I mentioned, we will also let you go. We understand when people's lives change or they've gotten what they need out of theater and it's time to move on, whatever. That's just grateful. Like Mike said, gratitude for the times we have with good people. But um, so what, you know, beyond it being family, is there any other things you can emotional ties to it? Um, I mean, home says a lot of things. Home means a lot of things. But is there, I'm just, you know, trying to uh, pick your brain. Is there anything uh, else? Or where would you, where, what would the future hope for you be in theater? I mean, I, I would really love to, to go right back to what we were doing, you know, five, sheer, five shows a season and, and you're in four of them. <laughs> and and I'm in four of them. And for the fifth one, I'm out front taking tickets, you know? So, 
I don't know. The, like I said, theater is just my happy place. And I, I really don't know how to, to put it in words, except that it has always just been where I felt like I was home. That's where I belong. It's what I'm good at. It's what I enjoy. It's just what fits for me. Um, I go to work because I need the money to pay bills. I go to the theater because that's what feeds my heart. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's just who I am. It's what I do. It's what I love. You know, it's funny. You talk about, we joke about uh, doing theater, the detriment of our real lives, but like I've, I've always, I've never had a career job in my whole life. And the reason for that has always been, I had to have a nine to five so I could do theater at night. Yeah. So I don't know if that's sad. It's, to me, it feels sad at this point. But. Listen, my my dream existence <laughs> would be to do theater 100% of the time and get paid enough for it that I, that that was my job. That was my income to have a roof over my head and make the car payment and buy the groceries. If I could survive in theater full time, I would do it in a heartbeat because that's what makes me happy. But there are very few people who get that luxury in life. Yeah, I was lucky to have done that for a number of years. And even though it wasn't uh, Bill Gates money, it was the sweetest money I ever made. It sure spent great because, yeah. you know, because I loved it so much. And that, exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, you hear growing up, like parents say, don't get stuck in a job you hate, you know, for the rest of your life. And anyway, there's so few people that that get stuck, so to speak, in a job that they love, you know, like right, they, right. They, there are extraordinarily few people who actually truly love their job. And those people that do, God bless them. Mm-hmm. I like what I do and I'm really good at what I do, but I'd give it up in a heartbeat if I could do theater instead mm-hmm. or anything else really instead. <laughs> yeah. Please don't yeah. Tell my boss has said that. <laughs> no, I'm sure they understand. <laughs> I mean, you know, for again, for the folks at home, we don't know what's happening after this virus. I mean, we don't, we're not sure about anything on any level. So that's been part of the point of this podcast is to try and keep Atlantic Stage's name alive during this Corona downtime. That's why we're the long Monday. And, uh, and try and to ha- keep our connection to our patrons too, because they yes. become our family too. Oh my you God. Know, I, yeah. I have become friends with several of our usual patrons that, you know, show up for every show. You know, we're friends now mm-hmm. um, because they're there all the time and they see me all the time and they say hello. And it's like, oh, yeah, you love this, too. So we're friends now. Yeah. And they become part of your extended family. Yeah. One, well, funny you mentioned that because we're going to have uh, we think it's important to have on a theater patron. And we have just the person in mind who is Don Baker, who is. Of here as well. um, he is a fantastic theater patron, but he is going to be a future guest on this podcast as well, because uh, we want to awesome. get. Yeah, he's a great. He's a, you know, I think so often we take not really, but we can take audience for granted. Right. But they're making choices and they obviously have feelings. So we want to talk to Don Baker as an audience member and uh, an astute audience member and pick his brain a little too, but yeah, Don will be great. He, oh, yeah. He's one of those audience members that you love to show up because you know that he's there because he appreciates what you're doing so much. And he's exactly who I had in mind when I said some of your patrons become your friends and your family. Cause mm-hmm. Don feels like family to me now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I, if they don't show up, then we're, we're performing to an empty room. And what is the point of that? There so yeah, you, you you can't underestimate the importance of the audience. 
yeah, there is an appreciation for creating art, but I think more so, especially in terms of theater, there's the appreciation of performing the art for people to consume <clears throat> it, which like you said, without that, the shows we've done in the past would have just been like, Oh, we did it. But exactly. without that audience there to talk <laughs> about it and appreciate it and consume it. If a it, tree falls in the woods. Right. Exactly. exactly. That's what I used to teach my class. You need three things for theater based level, audience performers and a script to have theater. That's it. Um, so um, audience, very important. Uh, Mike, you got anything else? I think I've kind of hit everything I was thinking about asking Penny. I think I have what is possibly the most important question of the night. Oh God. Mm. So in your illustrious career at Atlantic stage, uh-huh. if you had to pick one production as your favorite. Oh Lord. Hmm. Cause like we said, audience Penny does like four shows every season and we do five of them. Penny's doing something. And the only reason I'm not doing the fifth show is because y'all won't let me. You tell me <laughs> I right. have to yeah. rest. That's right. <laughs> um, no burnout. Honestly, I think that the most fun that I've had and the one that felt the best to me when it was over and I was like, oh, that was good. I really loved being a part of A Christmas Carol. Wow. Okay. Why is that? Um, it just, I mean, obviously it's a classic. Mm-hmm. Like everybody in the whole world has seen A Christmas Carol at some point in their life. But man, we had the best cast. And then... A week before we were supposed to open, Steve Harley went and tried to get himself killed. So we had to throw some other people in the cast real last minute. And we worked so hard and we came together so tight to get that done. And a lot of it was because we didn't want to let Steve down. It just felt so good. And the audiences seemed so happy with it. Like after the show was over, that was some really earnest applause. Um, And it just felt good to be a part of such a classic show. And we worked hard on it and it, it felt like a really big accomplishment. See, I just want to let people know this is how I work. Um, I knew the show wasn't going well. So I said, I'm going to try and kill myself (laughs) in a motorcycle accident. Let me make it really good. And uh, so I just want the show to be good. I don't care about so, Thank me. you for your sacrifice, Steve. You're quite welcome. I came <laughs> a little closer than I wanted to dying, but hey. <laughs> and you know what? Um, I would also like to add my second favorite show was Wit. I was Nurse Susie, and that show was super duper emotional. Um, Mindy Penn played the main character in that show, and to watch man, she gave a thousand percent every single night. And to, at the end of that show, I would be in tears because it felt so real. And I had become so in love with her character and I was so sad. And that was another one that just felt fantastic because at the end of it, to see the audience's reaction and to know that they felt all of that stuff that I was feeling right along with me, it's like, yes, we did exactly what we were supposed to do. Yeah. Audiences so, were very receptive in Wit. Yes. Um, I was in Wit as well. I played the, uh, I don't want to call him. A jerk. You well, were a jerk. I see, from his perspective though, I'm not so sure. Um, okay. From his perspective, but from the rest of the world. Well, sure, no, that's the thing is that Jason was the name of my character and he was. Um, and that's how Mike Kane works too. That's no, the thing is that <laughs> I, I think I was bored to play the role to be honest, but there's this moment where um, I'm trying to resuscitate Mindy. And the whole play, you, Jason has just been such a terrible, like you just want this guy to like get his comeuppance. 
And the person who delivered it is none other than Penny Langley That's when right. she literally throws me off the bed. That's right. And literally audiences would be like, yes. The best him. part of the whole show. <laughs> yeah. And I would just hear the audience members like silently going, yes, or like clapping or like <laughs> being so glad that I'm getting my comeuppance, which I, I always say I enjoy playing villains, but it's especially more enjoyable when. And, and that's the thing, having that audience be so invested in what you're doing, especially when you're right there towards the end of the show. So like an hour and a half to two hours later, they're still right there with you oh, yeah. and they're so invested in it. That's the huge payoff for me is to know that they cared enough to stick with it that whole time. And, oh, and then it's over. Uh, it's such a huge emotional release. That's, it's, that's theater. Yeah. It, and my first thought too is how hard it is for Mindy or whoever's playing the titular role in those kind of plays. Cause you know that the audience will be with you hopefully by the end of the night, but it's so, you know, you every night you go to the theater, you're facing two hours of death basically. Yeah. It's, it's hard. So, it's hard. It's emotionally. Very emotionally draining. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, even but, for those of us who aren't playing the titular role, right? Just to, to watch her go through that, man, it was oh god. Yep, yeah, great but show. You do that because you care, even though you know it's going to be hard, and try and change people. I guess, yeah. Nice that you guys saw the reactions to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Atlantic stage, you're two feet away yeah, from the exactly. nearest audience member. I yeah. mean, when you when you throw me, I mean, I was like a, probably a foot away from where yeah. I'm supposed to land every time. Was yeah. like a foot away from an audience member, and it's like. Yeah. Man, talk about intimacy in a show. Yeah, Especially, we were close enough to see their faces. Like they're like, yeah, their honest reactions before they realized how they were reacting. You saw everything. Mm -hmm. So, well, Penny, thank you for being here. This was, we, yes, I'm very glad you asked me. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, well, obviously, we all greatly appreciate what you do. And I think, you know, as a theater, it's always good to check in with your people who are involved and see why they do. I mean, I don't know. I just think it's good to assess why we do what we do. We never do that. We never, ever take like for folks at home when when we can do theater, we're so busy doing theater. We rarely, if ever, take time to go. Are we enjoying this? Is this what we love? <laughs> yeah, I love this. I love this. Why do I love this? You know, so I, I we wanted to have you on here so we could pick your brain about that. And uh, yeah. And, you know. It's, I don't know. What do, what, what do you, do you have any feelings about the future of theater in this area uh, and your involvement in it? Well, in this area, I feel like we have tons of people who want to be involved, who want to be doing something, but there's just not that much opportunity right now because there's so many restrictions on everybody. I'm just really looking forward to when we get control over this virus and have a better idea of how to keep ourselves safe and can do it in in a way that's not so restrictive so that we can all be together again in the same room. Like, I just, I need that so bad. And I'm not trying to, like, be a Debbie Downer, but I, I think that really applies to a lot of people in a lot of different situations, not just the theater, not just performing arts. Like, we just need to get back to normal, empathetic human beings sharing space and sharing experiences together so that so that life can be good again sorry i'm sorry i didn't mean to bring it down <laughs> I, w I wish you hadn't apologized because i wanted to leave it right there because i think that's exactly how everybody's feeling so um you know uh, i was just thinking though when you're saying that i was like imagine the post-pandemic world people are probably just never going to stop touching again I know it's going to be like a hug fest everywhere. <laughs> it's going to be like, Oh, I saw you when I walked into the store. Now we're walking out. Oh, I love you so much. That's right. I just, 
I, I need I need hugs again. <laughs> well, Miss Penny Langley, thank you so much for being our first company member spotlight here on the Long Monday podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Mike, this was fun. Absolutely. And uh, I'd like to say uh, for everybody listening, listen to us again, please. We love having your thoughts and feedbacks on the podcast. We love to see that people have listened. We're doing this for us, but mostly for you as well. So thank you so much. So for Mike Kane, Penny Langley, I'm Steve Harley. Hope you all have a good night. Check in with us again here at the Long Monday Podcast. Bye now. Bye.